Well, as we come back together, it's good to see everyone. Um, just wanted to say hello. My name is Eric Dean again. I'm the lead pastor here at Common Ground Northeast. Um, and we are in the middle of a series that we kicked off during the fall that is kind of around the idea of what is the identity of who we are and, um, and, and trying to, to, um, to use our core values, which is something that our uh, elders have been walking through a process. If you've ever been through that process before, it's fun, but it's also challenging. You're trying to really find the right wording for what you can discover and kind of nail down is about, you know, this is who we are and this is what we're about. And so two of the first two that I gave is we are common ground, meaning our name is a value. It's not just a title for us. The second one last time was we empower. And then this one today is we are courageous. And this is, um, this is what sticks out of, uh, about this to me. There was a moment during my interview here at Common Ground Northeast that I'll never forget. And it was uh, like, we, I came up and did the sermon, right? Like I'm supposed to always, when you're, when you're trying to find out if you want to hire someone to be a pastor, they come up and they do a sermon. But afterwards, what we did is, hey, anybody who wants to stick around and do a question and answer Q&A thing, let's do that which is always fun, right? To put you in the hot seat and just sit on a stool and let people throw ideas and stuff at you. Well, one person said this, and I don't remember who it was. They were sitting kind of right where you, you are right now, Mike. Um, and I can kind of remember like aesthetically a little bit of what they looked like. They had glasses on. Um, so if it's you, come tell me later on. I'd love to know who it was. But I just didn't know anyone well enough at the moment. And I looked over and they raised their hand and I said, yeah, hey, what's your question? And they said this very short, simple uh, statement. So Common Ground Northeast is a bold, bold church. Are you ready for that? I mean, how do you even answer a question like that, right? <laughs> but, but I will say, I'll, I'll say this. Like, he was referring to the fact that they've made some big decisions along the way. Right? There was initially the decision to leave the home church and go out and plant the Northeast campus together. We've engaged in issues that a lot of places uh, deem unpopular culturally or in the Christian world. Certainly some of these things are not great growth, church growth strategies, right? And so we've engaged in conversations and topics that people tend to avoid. We enter into ministries that, that have required some level of grit. If you've been a part of some of the ministries that we've been involved in, we like to be the ones who say we will do the hard thing when other people are unwilling to do that when we move out of conviction. And when I heard him say that, this is what happened. Something in me lit up because usually in other church contexts, I'm the one who's being critiqued for being the one who's taking things too far. And I just remember thinking, my people right? <laughs> like, oh, wow, this is okay. Like, this is, this is going to be great, right? So, so once I was here, as the elders were trying to determine core values, we saw this, this idea, whatever this person was trying to capture that was present inside of our church, and we tried to figure out, like, what aspect were they trying to describe? And we went through a few different words, right? Like, bold didn't quite feel like the right word for what he was trying to capture, although it worked in that moment. What about pioneering or trailblazing? We threw out some other ideas. We're like, nah, we're not like, we're not interested in just doing new things for the sake of like doing new things. That doesn't really describe us either. But it was more like just because something's difficult or new or unpopular, that didn't deter us from stepping into it. And so someone said, I mean, why isn't it just this simple? We are courageous. And so the idea of courage 
became one of our core values, not just something we aspire to be, but one that I will affirm coming from the outside in was already a part of the DNA of who Common Ground Northeast already is. This is courage. It's the ability to do something that frightens one or to have strength in the face of pain or grief. And when we think about it, there's no end to the types of pain or grief or anxieties or fear that we might face or encounter on a regular basis in our culture, in our day and age, whether that be physical, emotional, spiritual. A few months ago, I had an opportunity. I was, it was an online, um, uh, what do you call it? Like a, it was just a conference that they were live casting for us to watch. And a woman named Michelle Poehler, she's an author who is most known because she wrote a book called Hello Fear, where she talked about the nature of fear and her desire to overcome her own fears. One news article described her endeavors with this. From the time she was a little girl, Michelle Puller was afraid of the world. She avoided big, playful dogs, scared they might bite her. Terrified of pain, she dreaded doctor's appointments. She missed dinner parties that required her to drive at night. And what happened was this professor in one of her master's classes, she said, hey, hey can you write out ten, like in 10 years, what are some things that you would like to be or do or become? Okay, so you write out, right, you're dreaming big, you're thinking of all these crazy ideas. Then the professor said to her, she, she said, well, this is what I, I want you to do. I want you now to write out 10 things that are stopping you from being or doing some of those things. And then that professor drove them to say, what are the fears behind those things that are stopping you? Name them, right? Is it, a, is it pain that you're afraid of? Is it, uh, uh, you know, disgust or embarrassment? What is the fear that you're actually operating in? And then that professor challenged them to overcome just one of those fears within the next week or month. I can't remember exactly what it was, but in a short amount of time, get, get over one of those fears. And so Michelle decides she's going to take it even further and document herself overcoming 100 fears and post it all on social media. Now you can read her book. There's also a TED talk that she does. And what I want you to see is just a, a clip from the very beginning. It gives like a, a little snapshot of all of the things that she did um, here. So go ahead and take a look now.
Now watch number 100. Did you know that the most common fear is speaking in public? And she actually had offers from people who would sponsor her by the end of it. She was on the Today Show and all kinds of other media situations. But what happened was she said, you know what, like, they, like to, to scale a skyscraper and all these crazy things, she said, as dramatic as those were, that's not actually what I'm that afraid of. And so she developed this TED Talk to be the final culmination of her talking about fear. I would encourage you to take a look at it. It's pretty interesting. And some of those things are going to make their way into today's um, sermon, just some of her observations. But this is, this is kind of why I wanted to show you this. Fear is a universal thing that we all deal in, right? But what Michelle discovered is something I believe the scriptures have been telling us for a really long time, over and over and over, that fear holds us back from not living out our potential. And I don't mean that in like a weird self-helpy way, Right? I mean that as one of the most frequent commands in the Bible is this, do not fear. It occurs 365 times in the scriptures. After thousands of years, God knows us so well that he gave us one for every day of the year, just so we wouldn't forget that we're not supposed to be afraid. And I want you to see something. If God is with us, fear becomes an opportunity because we can't be courageous if we don't have the occasion to test it. If we don't have the occasion to put it on display or, or see what we're made of from place to place. And so when the test comes, what is it that lends confidence to God's people, enabling them to act courageously? I want you to turn to Psalm 23. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm 23 right now. We will have the words and, and the scripture up on the board for you, uh, and you can also click to it in your phones. Um, this is something interesting. So, so in our preaching collective, Jody threw out this idea. Um, she said, look, look at Psalm 23, because think of all of the things I could have said today, all of the stories of overcoming from the scriptures that we could have talked about. And what was interesting about this that Jody um, saw inside of it is like, we could talk about David, we could talk about Daniel, we can talk about Shifra and Pua, we can talk about all these different people that did these great acts. But Psalm 23 gives us a look at the mind behind the person doing the action. We get to see the heart and the thinking that was going on as David was interacting with all the things. And so Psalm 23 is a Psalm of David. And because of that, we have to read it as it pertains to his life. Psalm 23 articulates his thoughts as he depicts a relationship between himself and Yahweh in three separate familiar seasons or environments, the pasture the dark valley, and the temple. And the pasture is green with quiet rotters, right? We like that spot. Think of David as a shepherd boy tending his sheep out before he, you know, when he was young. In the dark valley with death, we think of battles that David engaged in, the power struggles Saul from, from, from running from Saul as he was having that power struggle between he and Saul, even getting spears thrown at him, running and hiding in caves over and over, the multiple moral failures that we see inside of it. I love this idea that Walter Brueggemann pointed out um, inside of the Psalms is there's a consistent theme of orientation, right? Where we start, then disorientation where things get scrambled, and then a reorientation where, oh yeah, you're good. God, you're good. Yahweh, you have been faithful. And you're going to see that here. And what I want you to notice is that the final movement is better than the first. 
All right? The final movement is better than the first. It's the house of the Lord, specifically at a banquet that is prepared by God himself. The temple life of the king is luxurious. Verse 1 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul, and he guides me along the path, sorry, the right paths for his name's sake. And so the first relationship that David describes of Yahweh is as a caring shepherd. As a former shepherd himself, David understands what he means by this. He compares the divine being that he serves, God, as the shepherd that he is familiar with. This wasn't an uncommon idea in the ancient Near East, right? This was something commonly referred to if you liked your king and your deities, you would call them shepherds because this idea of the way a shepherd takes care of sheep, it was commonly understood as, as good. And so a shepherd king was a good kind of king that you wanted to have. And a shepherd God is a good kind of God. And Yahweh has presented himself as such. He's interested in us. He cares for us. He treats us like a shepherd treats the sheep, providing for needs, giving rest, refreshing, right? If you've heard anyone preach or talk on this or read it yourself, you've gone through all of these ideas. What are all the different caring ways that God engages with us? At times, our life looks like green pastures, right? And it's easy to see the shepherd taking care of us. It's easy to see abundant provision, peace, renewal around us. But the last line in that section, I think, is really important. It says this, he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Now, I want you to imagine the psalm that we're reading, Psalm 23, as a journey through these three different environments that I mentioned, a pasture, then a valley, and then the temple banquet. All right, keep those ideas in mind. And you have to see that through the green pastures and the quiet waters, they're good. The shepherd himself is caring for us there, and it's incredibly safe. He's watching out. You just, all you do is eat the grass in front of you and not worry about too much. In fact, he's guiding us, so he's going to get us to the next patch of green, so we don't even have to think too much about that. But just like David in the pastures of his father's fields, the pastures were not the final season. They weren't actually the destination. If you think of this as a journey, he had to move them through something to get them somewhere else. So the shepherd guides people along. And it should be noted that all of this is done very specifically. It says, not for David's sake, not for David's fame, not for his glory, but for the sake of God's name, Yahweh's name. And you see the motivation of a venture like this, especially if it's going to be challenging, has to be found in something bigger than just ourselves, something cosmic, something large. At first, that seems oppressive, right? When you think of our individualist culture, when you think about the American dreams that we all have, a lot of us is trying to uh, move us on a trajectory towards autonomy, away from being dependent on anyone or anything. But as we see in Ecclesiastes, and as we see in the life of Solomon, When you look back at their lives, you realize that when they achieve all that they wanted, building their own empires and getting to the end of that, they are still unsatisfied. It doesn't satisfy them in the end. For that, that kind of satisfaction, your purpose has to be found in something greater than yourself. And so for his namesake, for God... It becomes this higher purpose as God guides along the right path, meaning we're obediently following the path that the creator has told us to walk in. In Psalm 23, in this journey, what stands between us and the final destination is a grim valley. 
It's a place of darkness. It's a place of danger and difficulty. Listen to verse 4. It says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, some of you have through the valley of the shadow of death. I hate to tell you this, but death isn't in there at all in the Hebrew. That was just kind of some interpretive thing along the way. So sorry if you memorized that version. Um, but really, it says the darkest of dark. So, so this is like the worst of the worst. And that might be death for you, but that could be other things as well, right? In the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. And this next part's important. Why does he fear no evil? For you, God, are with me. It is of the utmost importance that we realize that David's confidence in struggle, that David's confidence in darkness, that David's confidence in dodging spears and running for his life, hiding in caves, comes from one thing. The king that he serves is a God who has proven himself to be faithful, who says he can, tr- he can be trusted, protects, and never, ever, ever, ever leaves. This is exactly how it plays out in the confrontation of Goliath and Samuel. I just want you to hear these words. They're not going to be up on the screen, but just listen to this. 1 Samuel 17, 45. David said to the Philistine, this is right before Goliath, you come against me, or this is Goliath speaking, you come against me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come, I messed that whole thing up. This is David speaking to, as it says, the Philistine, Goliath, you come against me with the sword and a spear, and a javelin, you'll realize that there's also an armor bearer with more weapons and capable of helping fight. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Where's that confidence coming from? I mean, that that borders on bravado, right? But he's not boasting in his ability to wield the sword. 48 says, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it, struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. And so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. The boy, the boy David displays a lot of courage in this situation, right? The text says he's not even properly equipped with the right weapons to take on any battle, let alone with a giant. But David's bravery to walk in the battle, to say yes when the armies of Israel look at Goliath in the field, they're like, nope, (laughs) right? Like, nah, that's, I'm not, I'm not getting involved in this. And David visits and says, I'm, I'm gonna do this. It's all 100% rooted in his confidence that God will come through on his behalf. And God did. What we see is that throughout David's history with Yahweh, and I want you to hear this, he's compiling this database of God's faithfulness, like throwing all of these things into a folder in his mind so that he can recall them to memory later when the next challenge comes. That's often what Psalms were, him just recording the ways in which God has been faithful to him so that they are in song and they are committed to memory that he can pull them out and remember in that moment what's, what, what it is that he can lean on when things get difficult, who he can trust when he enters into the next valley or the next battle or the next conflict. 
He trusts Yahweh. The tools of the shepherd are important too. If you continue in Psalm 23, verse 4, it says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now these tools are important because it keeps the sheep together, right? That's the job of the shepherd. He rescues them from themselves most often. I don't know if you all saw, but there was a meme where some guy is trying to pull as hard as he can this sheep that's stuck inside of a crack. And he's like trying, 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 and finally like gets him out. The sheep panics, freaks out, jumps, and just falls into the same crack like four or five feet down the way. That's what sheep do. <laughs> Jeff Rackinator, who's one of the, the youth, uh, he's the youth pastor over at our Midtown campus. He recently um, purchased a farm and him and his family live on it and they have sheep now. He said, when I got my first sheep home, I put it out in this pasture. And after a while I looked around, I said, where'd the sheep go? And he had to go look for it in the woods. He finds it stuck up its own fur caught up in the branches and it couldn't move. And he said, I did not ever fully understand the metaphors of a shepherd and a sheep until this moment. And I cleared the thicket and I picked up this helpless little lamb. And he said, I just burst out weeping because I realized how much like this sheep I am all the time, just running into things that are not good for me. And the shepherd always just patiently pulling away the thickets, pulling the sheep back. And they rescue the sheep over and over again. These tools, the rod and the staff, don't always register to us as good though, right? Because sometimes the crook has to grab us by the neck and pull us out and knock things away. And so it takes time for us to develop trust, right? That when the predators are here, the staff comes up and the sheep don't have to cower. They know the loving grace of God that, hey, that's not for me. That's not the tool he uses on me. The tools are good, but if you don't trust the shepherd holding them, then they're of no use to emboldening you for your next challenge. Remember that the sheep are under no uh, assumption that they can defend themselves. They just panic and run in any direction that they don't see a wolf coming. And their only confidence is depending on the shepherd's ability to step in on their behalf I want you to see this next verse because we've talked about the green pastures. We've talked about this dark valley, right? But now we're going into a totally different scene that shifts inside of the psalm. Verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, this new environment is an environment of victory. It's a place wherein there has been an accomplishment. And so God changes roles, and he's no longer the shepherd inside of this description. He is now the hospitable host who rewards and celebrates along with his people as they enter into an environment or a place of victory. That's huge, to see our God not just want to protect, but want to be a part of our lives in a way that's like, hey, let's, let's celebrate this thing together. Abundance is what we had in the green pastures. Maybe just abundance for that day, right, until we had to move on. But that abundance in there becomes something different because the green pastures become banquet tables. Those are feasts. The thirst-quenching streams, the quiet waters become cups of wine that are overflowing. That's a different kind of drink for a completely different reason. That's not sustenance, that's celebration now. 
And we're feasting with God, sitting at the banquet table, wine overflowing, the presence of him is enjoyed. And you see that goodness and love is described as moving in the direction of the psalm writer. I don't have to chase these things anymore. They come towards me. What I want you to see is the final destination is a reward for bravely walking through the darkest of valleys. Likewise, I believe that there is still rewards for God from God for our bravery here today as we walk the path that God has laid out for us. Maybe we don't get it in the fullness until the new heavens and the new earth. I don't want to mislead you. Maybe the definition of success is not how we typically define it, right? We don't want to depict the biblical courage as just a self-help paradigm. Like I mentioned earlier, Sam in the Preaching Collective mentioned this idea. He said, what we don't want to do is paint this idea, that all you have to do is face your fears, take action, and you're going to get your American dream. That's not at all what's taking place in this. And this is what I want you to hear. That is a trash endeavor. This is something that we get to enter into wherein distractions are constantly being thrown at us, counterfeit rewards that don't actually fulfill. There's a thief who wants to lull us into a deep faith sleep so he can steal your growth in faith, your trust in God, so he can steal your future encounters with God. The enemy knows that if he can continually satisfy and distract your hunger for what is eternal and what is divine over and over and over again, with junk food and fake adventures, then the excitement in your faith will be rendered useless for the kingdom of God. Now, I, 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 don't, I wasn't fully planning on sharing this story, but, um, and I kind of stopped and said, okay, God, what, what level of detail can I give? So we were, I was working with somebody, a friend of somebody in the, in the church, a family member of someone in the church, um, who clearly had some, a, a demon in them. Um, and so in this context, another friend of mine and I were walking with this, and I just thought this was so, just the, the, the statement was so bright in what he said. He said, look, man, because this thing was giving him powers, or at least things he foresaw as powers, right? And he was unwilling to let this thing go. And it was, you know, the, the thing you see sometimes in movies, there's things talking through him, and, you know, has, there's knowledge that it shouldn't ha- he shouldn't have, that this person doesn't have, right? And so um, as he's talking, the friend of mine says, I believe God's giving me this image, man, and I want you to see this because you are allowing the enemy to satisfy you on popcorn while you stand in front of a TV. And there's real adventures that God has for you, and there's a feast that he has for you, but if you keep just sitting on the couch watching the next movie, living somebody else's adventure over and over and over through television, you're never going to experience the ones that God has for you. If you just keep eating nutritionless popcorn that we love in that moment, right? all the salt and everything, zero nutrition. Well, that's probably not true. Maybe some nutrition. But you're just going to satisfy yourself on counterfeit things when God has a feast and a real life adventure for you that's not artificial and that will grow you, but it will cost you something. It's safer just to stay on the couch. I want you to hear this. As the people of God, as Common Ground Northeast, as those of you who are guests today, Don't waste your courage on chasing things that fade. You can be incredibly courageous for things that don't matter. Instead, keep your eyes on Christ and the upward call that he has placed on you. There is a real reward for acting in courageous faith when God leads you towards it.
Now, this psalm, it serves as a sample for the personality of David and sets a trajectory to the rest of David's reign as king. I also want to recognize that David as a king was severely flawed, and I'm not trying to make any exceptions about that right now. All I want you to know is we realize that, but there's also some good and some faithfulness that we want to pull out, and we see him willing to surrender at times to make things right. And in this psalm, I feel like we see the best of David as he understands his relationship between he and God and the, and the one he serves. Once again, I want you to understand this, though. We have to remain in a state of willing surrender, able to walk into that next thing that God challenges us to. Fear becomes an occasion for us to put our courage on display. You can't be courageous unless there is danger. And so I want you to just think of this idea. There's a, there's a call. Then we have to evaluate a cost to this. I don't know why they're alliterated. You can, I don't know, make fun of me for that later. But for whatever reason, call, cost, convicted, and courage. When you walk into a call that's a discernment process, is this God or is this me? Am I hearing you correctly, Lord? If so, God, are you guiding me into doing something here that is difficult? Because once again, it's, if it's not difficult, it won't require any courage and you won't grow in any direction. The call is going to be difficult. And if it is, and that means the thing which you're being called into has a cost that you begin to evaluate. And that's where fear starts to creep in. Okay, well, God, you told me to go do this thing, but I realize that, that, that and, and as our minds go down this rabbit hole, what if I fail? Or what if it doesn't work? Or what if it makes me really uncomfortable? Or what if it hurts? What if I get embarrassed? I want control of my life, and I, want to put myself in a, I don't want to put myself in a situation where I may not have control. I want to get my, myself in over my head. Now, stop and pause really quick, because in a typical middle-class context, that's called wisdom. And I am saying that's not wisdom. God will continually ask you to get in over your head. Continually. Okay, so what, what, if, what if I don't, what if this doesn't work out? You, we start to entertain the most, uh, the worst case scenario, right? What's dangerous? What if I'm getting you know, lonely? What if I'm the, I go and no one comes with me? Right? All of these worst case scenarios, and the list goes on. The level of possible loss will then determine that cost for you, and then the fear ramps up, and it begins to grow, and then we often make decisions in that moment. That's what David's brothers, that's where they made their decision and said, I'm not going to fight that guy. That's where King Saul made his decision. What if David becomes greater than me? I don't want to allow that. I'm going to kill him. How weird is that? But in the middle of that fear, that's where they make their decision. But what changes David is that, and causes him to have an edge over it, is that he, and what causes him to say yes when everyone else says no, I think are two things. He had trust in God because of their history, because a database of moments where God proved himself faithful over and over again. He could say he was faithful then, he was faithful then. There was bears and lions out in the pastures. I can, I can trust him now. I'm going to walk into this. Or you can go Jonathan and his armor bearer. There's a moment where they even say, I think God's with us. I don't know. If I'm wrong, we're both going to get killed. But if not, this is going to be awesome. They walked into a battle with that, that God might be on their side. And so this idea of like faithfulness, that God is trustworthy. And the second thing is that they, they looked at the cost and they weighed something else against it. Franklin Roosevelt said this, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than the fear. And so the defamation of God's name was not going to happen on David's watch. The possibility of being killed 
or even being enslaved was going to outweigh the fear in this moment. And so he trusted God and he said, I'm going to walk in. And so what I want to ask you today is, what do you weigh against your fear when God calls you into something? Do you have a history of moments that you can recall? Are you living vicariously through other people's moments? And we get a little of that through the scriptures, right? Those are stories of God's faithfulness. But have you felt and understood and walked in the faithfulness so you can look back and say, only God got me out of that? Because when I walk into the next thing, it's going to be only God that gets me out of that thing in, as well. And so your what could go wrong can turn then into a what could go right. What are the possible rewards for this? If I am loyal to the one who has asked me to move, what table, what banquet, what feast and celebration might God have in store for me on the other side of this darkest of dark valley? And whatever it is, if it outweighs the cost, it can overwhelm the fear and prompt you. Not get rid of the fear. That was never a part of this equation. But you can be so convinced that God is leading you for his name's sake. And if you believe that, if you have a level of certainty in that, if you're obedient and loyal to the one who's proven trustworthy, if you, like David, might have the ability to run into a battle with that same level of boldness. And this is where you and I are able to become courageous. Okay, so what I want for all of us at Common Ground Northeast and everyone here hearing me is to walk in the same level of courage, to say yes when others might say no, to weigh out what the reward is for being obedient to Yahweh as opposed to the fear that's coming toward us and to be bold and courageous in everything that we do as a community. If we do, there will be rewards on the other side. But one of the rewards that I want to warn you about is this. The reward for winning a great battle is often the next battle, right? And so eventually you're sitting at that table and that becomes your new green pastures. You get real familiar and real comfortable and God's taking care of you and you realize God's saying, we're going to make another move and there's going to be another dark valley. Will you trust me again? Because often the reward for doing good and being faithful is another opportunity to do good and to prove yourself faithful. And so who do you trust and who do you weigh against your fear? I want you just to think about that right now personally, just kind of reflect on that. Is there something that God has called you? And I definitely believe in a room this size, there are lots of things God has been calling us all to do, right? But what is it? What has been causing you to walk away from it? And can you decide what fear it is? Fear of possible failure, embarrassment, my fear is often looking irresponsible. I have something in me from somewhere along my life and my journey that is afraid of looking irresponsible. But faith often doesn't look very responsible to outsiders. And this is what I want to do. I want to call you to take heart. I want you to have the courage to face the things of your past. If God's calling you to confront an injustice, then I want you to stand firm and step into that. If he's calling you to stand up and not be pressured to move back like Daniel, then I want you to have the boldness to stand and not be pushed back. Is he calling you to have uh, some sort of impossible, so to face some sort of impossible situation? Then I want you to see what Esther did in her time and say, I will not shrink back in this moment. 
take that big risk. And then I want you to think not just personally, but corporately as a church, what is it that God might be calling us collectively into that's going to take a lot of courage and a lot of banding together to accomplish as a unified, courageous community. See, I believe God does have some more valleys for us to walk through, some other battles to fight, but I want you to know that there is something on the other side that is greater, even if we don't know what that thing is. And so if you're new to CGNE or you just need a reminder, my challenge to you at the end of today is the same one that I started with. Common Ground Northeast is a bold, bold church. Are you ready for that? Let's pray. Yeah, Lord, thank you for the over and over again. I mean, we get it over and over again, Lord. We see the bravery of Moses who, forces, who faces Pharaoh. We see the bravery of him who just thought he couldn't talk very well, and you came around him and brought him a friend. We see Shifra and Puah going against the king of Egypt in order to deliver the babies, even though it could cost them their lives. We see over and over again Esther and Deborah, and, and, and we see Gideon, and we see Jonathan, and we see Elijah facing the prophets of Baal. It's normal to be taken out of our comfort zone. So reorient our hearts, adjust our minds, change our lives. Don't let us buy into the idea that our best years are behind us. But God, if your rod and staff guide us, if we are on your path and we are trying to make your name great, could we pass from the ease of green pastures through the darkest valley and celebrate with you at a banquet table? So that's so deeply into our hearts that we are discontent without it. And I pray for this right now in the name of Jesus Christ. All God's people said, amen.